You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Alicia Anderson is an international TEDx motivational speaker, CEO, inclusion champion, and advocate. She received a master's degree in adapted physical activity and has been an avid wheelchair tennis player and cyclist. Let's chat with her. So Alicia, I wanted to just start by talking about like how and when did you get involved in sports? So there's, that's a little bit of history. Um, <laughs> So I got involved in sports when I was four years old. Um, I was born in the mid seventies, so I'm dating myself. But um, when I was born, I was born to an able, uh, I was born with an able-bodied identical twin and my parents weren't expecting that. And so my mom kind of was on this mission to find something that we could do together inclusively from like an activity perspective. Mm -hmm. And right at that time, Brad Parks, who founded Wheelchair Tennis, um, had just come out of re- rehab from his spinal cord injury. And he was just starting um, kind of inventing wheelchair tennis during those those times. It was like around probably 79, 80. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom had seen that he was doing an exhibition close by. We were living in Orange County. And so she went to go watch this wheelchair tennis exhibition. They, I think they were still in hospital style medical wheelchairs and very old school and she was really impressed and so when they finished she went up and approached him and said would you be interested in helping us teach our girls how to play wheelchair tennis as well one walks one is in a chair and so I was actually the first it I'm pretty sure the very first if not one of two um junior kids that started playing wheelchair tennis when I was four with Brad Parks. Mm. And um, I had one of the first, if not the first wheelchair tennis, like sports chairs for juniors, like developed by one of the older companies, like E&J wheelchairs or something like that. So, so way back in history. And so I started playing wheelchair tennis when I was that age. And it was something that we could play inclusively as a family, but it also obviously you're in, in the disability sports um, industry and world, like we probably know, but like it was a, the most foundational um, decision that my parents made for me because it allowed me to become one with my chair through play, to get be competitive, to learn how, you know, I've always had this like drive to win. And I think it started way back then and it gave me the confidence to kind of go for it and keep trying to have wins in my life. And I think that translated later into my career and all of that. So I was never a Paralympic athlete, but um, I it definitely was, I competed um, on the USTA tennis um, circuit for, you know, my late teens, early twenties. I met my husband through tennis. So there was a lot of very important things that came into my life through sport, though I was never like Paralympic gold medalist. um, Absolutely. And that's so, that's such a key point that you, that um, because folks think that you, you know, you have to participate 
or or that you have to strive even to to be at that elite level and competing internationally and you know going to the Paralympics. But no, sport for anybody is has so many valuable um, you know intangible things that you can you can you can derive from and get from. So that's such a, a I mean you you met a you met a, a spouse and you and you got a lot of things for your career that out of, out of out of just playing sport. Yeah. And it also, it translated into my education as well because disability sports, whether it was tennis or cycling or going to camp every year when I was a kid and playing sports with my peers, all of those things kind of translated again as as the foundation of my independence and what kind of drove me forward as a young girl. And when I got through high school and went into college, you know, I, my bachelor's degree is in adapted physical education mm-hmm. and kinesiology. I've got a master's degree. I got a full ride scholarship to go move to Europe. And I have a master's degree in adapted physical activity with a focus uh, and emphasis on inclusion, which translates now to the speaking stage and all that. So yeah. you kind of look back at your life and you go, you, you see the little breadcrumbs that form who we all be, like become. And so sport was completely, it translated in every single aspect of my life, for sure. And and four is a pretty young age to start, you know, a sport. So because uh, I know five or six is type typically the age that, that is encouraged, at least at, at the pro- programmatic level. But when did you realize uh, you know, how much of a, of a treat it was to be kind of coached by and, and, and assisted by, you know, someone that much of a pioneer in a, in a, in a particular adaptive sport. Yeah. You know, I don't think I put the two and two together until I was a young adult. Brad Parks was more like a family member than anything. Uh I mean, he really (laughs) took me under his wing and, he and my mother became really great friends. My mom actually passed away when I was seven from leukemia. And so this was like something that she gifted me foundationally before mm-hmm. she died to kind of allow me to learn to be um, as independent as possible. And so he was part of all of that too. And so we had this relationship that was more like family than realizing he was this pioneer and doing these amazing things. He was just kind of like, this mentor and I don't know, his father figure, but definitely um, some like a family member that really just wanted nothing but the best for me and love and love. So it was, it was really a beautiful relationship and highly impactful as a little kid growing up in those days where honestly, you didn't see a whole lot of people that looked like you, that you could have as, as examples. And um, just because disability inclusion wasn't as prominent as it is today. Right. And so he helped me kind of find my voice and find my insta- uh, my my advocacy and the belief in who I am, the way that I am. And that was all through play, honestly. Yeah. And, and um, you talked a little bit about it, but what was it about wheelchair tennis specifically that, you know, obviously as a young as four, but you continued to play through, you know, you said, you know, high school and in your twenties and whatnot, what was it about that sport particularly? I think it was number one, probably Brad. And I just looked up to him mm-hmm. so much, but number two, 
Um, it was something that I could play with anyone. So it was definitely inclusive. Um, but that was the environment that I was invited into to be with my peers. So I associated the two and Brad created a, it was called wheelchair tennis sports, wheelchair sports camp back then as well in the eighties and nineties. And that was a once a year thing where it was like the one time of year I would get to skip school for a week and go blend into a crowd. Like you couldn't find me, you know, and I never had those experiences in school um, and growing up with my friend groups. There just wasn't a lot of kids with disabilities. Right. Um, and so it, it was those moments of feeling like you had a community. And I think the social aspects along with um, just the fun and the physical activity, that combination of the two, it just kept me coming back and um, wanting it to be a part of my life always. So it was probably a combination of those things. So that camp was more like a, a where's Waldo, but it was like, where's Alicia, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of us, we were all in chairs, you right. know, and we were competing against each other, you know, and it was 10 different sports. So we would go to, you know, archery and basketball and weightlifting and tennis and, you know, and um, it was just an opportunity to compete against people that are on somewhat of a level playing field. And yeah, there was just something about it for me. I don't know if the other kids felt like this, but when we're all in the gymnasium together, you know, having lunch or playing basketball or rugby or whatever we were doing, I I guess growing up as a little kid, I always felt like I couldn't blend in, you know, and it was just a thing for me. So to be able to kind of like roll into a crowd and just be, you know, without kind of sticking out and people going, oh, what's that's different. What's going on with her? It's just refreshing as a as a as a kid to kind of let go all of those societal judgments for a moment, you know, and really just blend in. (laughs) It was just as simple as that, honestly, (laughs) you know, and uh, flirt with the boys and um, play with, you know, find girlfriends that look like me that would be lifelong and um, find mentors and coaches that look like me that I would never see outside of these experiences. So, which is what translated to me trying to do some of this work in my life, because I felt really, I've, I wanted to give back and allow other kids with disabilities as they're growing up to have those opportunities to see a mentor, blend in, to compete on a playing field that feels very um, similar. Yeah. And 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 so obviously it, it is wheelchair tennis as a sport that you can play, you know, at a park, just go to your local park and you can play with anybody, as you mentioned. So family, friends, uh, whatnot. But you did have that competitive side of you because you did go and compete for a number of years at on the USA USTA circuit. Um, so where did that competitive drive come from? I think it came through tennis. I just didn't want to lose. You know, it was just, I mean, I lost a lot. <laughs> I lost a lot. I was like a mediocre. I probably could have been better if I just focused on tennis and only tennis, but I had other hobbies. And so my husband made it all the way to um, the USA team, went to world team cup, like he, and playing against him, like I got pretty good. Like I could hit the ball hard, but I was just never, uh, I just never got to the place of, um, you know, his level. Um, 
And I think it's just a internal character trait that I I like the I I I was in sales in my career before I started my business too. And I, that translated there. Like I wanted to win. I wanted to win the deal, get the high. Uh, da, da. And so, you know, I just, I have something in me that wants to keep trying to see what I can accomplish, whether it's a win or a fail. I think there's, there's um, great things that come out of both, to be honest with you. Um, and actually, I think you sometimes can um, have more takeaways from failing oh, yeah, <laughs> than winning. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I've definitely my sister, I, my twin sister. I'm way more athletic and competitive that she than she is on her feet. And you know, she always says like, I don't know, you're so competitive. I don't know why you're like that. I'm like, I don't know, but I like to win. At least try. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think it was just yeah. embedded. Yeah, you're right. There's there's some in, innate like uh, fire in the in the belly or the gut or something yeah. that, that just drives you and <laughs> and wants you to. That's a good analogy. It does feel like a fire in the gut sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and then what there is a quote about you know failing is just one other way of learn, learning how to how to do something differently. So <laughs> totally, totally. And besides wheelchair tennis, what other sports uh, would you consider has been a big part of your life? Um, definitely, um, hand cycling and fitness. And again, that's not anything that I compete in, but those are today my regular, like fitness and activity routines. Like for me on a regular day, like I'm up in the morning early or at some point strapping weights to my wrists and going to look for hills to push up. Like I like mm-hmm. fitness. I like sweating. I, I think it's good for mental health and it's mm-hmm. good for fitness. I think it's good for, has a lot of things that translate. So I get that from riding my hand cycle or um, literally just like pushing my chair up hills. Um, but there was a time, you know, I, I lived in Lake Tahoe for, I went to junior college and lived up there for a little bit and what did this whole ski bum student thing. And um, so I did some mono skiing for, you know, a certain period in my twenties. Um, that was when I was a little fearless and wasn't afraid of, you know, <laughs> my shoulder. I'm getting old now, so I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but um, definitely did some skiing. Oh, and then also I, I moved to Europe to do my master's program. Um, and part of my master's program was I had to study in two different universities. So most of the time I lived in Belgium, but I ended up going and doing an internship in Norway, like north deep in Norway oh, yeah. at a rehabilitation center there for people with disabilities, which was so cool. And there I got to do a ton of cross country skiing, which I wish I would have more access to in California. I loved that. Um, I got to do ice hockey on like actual lakes yeah so I coach, <laughs> I've coached kids a lot um so it's it's been in my life continuously but definitely now for sure is fitness and pushing up hills which is probably sounds pretty boring <laughs> <laughs> well it's just being outside and getting the you know getting obviously oxygen and air and fresh yeah. air and 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 as you said you know kind of the physical fitness part helps with the mental and emotional and everything else too. So, and also it helps me with my mobility and being able to be as independent, um, just and strong, you know, as I'm kind of navigating my life and, you know, my business requires a lot of travel. So I just try to make sure that I'm as healthy as possible to be able to navigate all those experiences as well. And since you mentioned, obviously your master's and even your undergrad, what, 
uh, where and how did you get the idea that you, that's what you wanted to study in terms of adaptive physical education? And That's a great question. So I knew I was interested in studying something that had to do with disability sport um, just because it was a thing that I loved. Um, and just as simple as that. Adaptive PE was not on my radar, but I was looking for colleges that had um, recreational therapists, um, degrees and things like that, because I translated camp and tennis and things like that more to recreational therapy. Um, and so I started touring schools. And one school that I toured was Chico State University, and they have one of the best adaptive PE programs in the country. And I just randomly ran into the head of the department, Rebecca, Dr. Rebecca Lytle. And I said, do you know where the recreational therapy, you know, and she's like, why don't you come in my office for a minute? And so (laughs) she pulled me in, she pitched me, she sold me. And then um, I signed up. And I mean, to be honest with you, PE and adaptive PE for me is kind of was always kind of like a double edged sword. Like it gave me so much valuable knowledge about taking care of my body, stretching, advocating for my, I mean, my adaptive PE teacher in high school and junior high was like, she taught me how to advocate and use my voice and, and asked to be on the tennis team and asked. And I had a lot of no's when I was in school, I wasn't allowed to do those things. Like times have changed. Um, yes, but she did teach me to like, I still stretch the way that she taught me, you know? (laughs) So there was valuable things that I got out of adaptive PE in school, but it was also the place where I felt segregated and I felt embarrassed sometimes. Like she would stretch me, you know, on the basketball floor when the other kids were playing. And it was just kind of like, it was just a little bit embarrassing as a kid who kind of wants to be integrated. And back then they just weren't integrating PE and adaptive PE or it didn't, I don't think they were doing it at all. I don't know. From my memory is like they, I was very segregated and, um, you know, there'd be activities like the kids are running the mile. I wasn't allowed to do that. Why? Like I push for exercise. You know what I mean? Like, why can't I go run the mile? So there was just, there was, it's that double-edged sword where I had all these like advocacy lessons and taking care of your body and, and great lessons, but also felt very left out. So it was like kind of this back and forth um, play on all that. I think they're doing better now, but there's a lot of work still in PE. You're right. You're right. I think they are doing, they are doing better now, but there's, there's, there's still room for improvement for sure. (laughs) I actually just spoke at the um, uh, national or uh, California um, physical education and health um, uh, association a conference in California. And it, I spoke to all, uh, general ed PE teachers about adaptive PE and inclusion and all of that. And, um, I could tell how impactful that was for general PE teachers to kind of like hear my lesson on inclusion, my stories about being left out as a kid. And I feel like there's a lot of work to do to kind of connect the dots of all the kids want to be together. Like, let's find a way to, um, include even a little bit more so anyhow and did you did you um study that subject with the intent of becoming a teacher i I, initially i did yeah Mm -hmm. initially i did um and as i got through the end of my program at chico state 
Um, I, I, uh, my bucket list dream back then was to work for the Paralympics. That's all I wanted to do. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not a Paralympic athlete. I want to work for the Paralympics. And towards the end of my degree, the scholarship started making its way through our program. It was called the Erasmus Mundus Adaptive PE, um, Adaptive Physical Education Scholarship out of Leuven, Belgium. And part of the, the coursework was Paralympic um, work. And, and I was like, okay, so it was a master's program that wasn't really on my radar, but I started thinking about it going, gosh, I think I'm going to apply to this to just see if I can get it. I didn't think I would get it. It was a global scholarship. So it was 35 students around the globe, one per country. So I got chosen for the United States for that specific year. And I, I got chosen for this thing and it kind of shifted my goal from next step get, being credentialed and starting to teach to moving to Europe, going into this master's program with the goal, you know, my competitiveness that I'm going to meet the right person at the Paralympics and work for them. And it's exactly what I did. Like I went and I got my master's and I did all the studies and I was very successful. And I had my master's degree and it's great because it's translating into the work that I'm doing today. But the real goal was to leverage networking with the Paralympics in this program. That was really my goal. And one of the first field trips that we ever did was we took a trip from uh, Belgium to Bonn, Germany, to the International Paralympic Committee's um, corporate office. And they sat all of us around. I was the only student with a disability in this program too, by the way. So oh, really? um, yeah, um, with, with a visible disability. And right. back then people weren't identifying like they are now. So I'm sure there was more people with disabilities. But anyway, right. um, we're sitting around this boardroom table and all the corporate heads from IPC are there. You know, and I'm like, ooh, ooh, this is my moment. This is my moment. <laughs> so we get, we do our tour. We did it. Da, da, da. Everybody starts to leave the whole class. And I stop and I go around to every executive and I'm like, I'm Alicia. We're going to be working together one day. I'm Alicia. We're going to be working together. Way. I'm Alicia. And this is a story of, um, initiative. Like yeah. what I have learned in my career is all you need to do is go for it. Try, you know, you might fail, but it opens doors and avenues to figure things out. And so I did, I boldly did that and then left. And, uh, about a month later, um, one of the heads from the, I think he was doing, um, gosh, the department was something with scientific, it was a science piece and I'm failing right now because I'm, it's been a long time. Anyways, yeah. he was on the, he was on the international parallel, one of the committees. And he said, we want you to come and do an internship while you're here in Belgium at, for the education committee. Um, and we're creating a program called the Paralympic school day program. We want you to help us create it, write it, the whole, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so I did an internship with the international Paralympic committee while I was over there in tandem to my program. It was outside of my, I did my thesis on it, like the whole thing. And, um, it got published and it was distributed globally. It was translated into many different languages and distributed globally to schools. So able-bodied kids can learn about inclusion, disability, Paralympic sport and all that. So, I mean, check off that box, you know, like that was my dream. And I, it was very, it was a very exciting time for me, honestly. 
Well, that's yeah, and that's awesome because you uh, if you said you did you set it out as a goal and you and you and you and you were able to accomplish that. Yeah. And and how did that lead to wanting to start your own business? Good question. Um, so I when I finished my program in Belgium, I was the Paralympics wanted me to stay and I had an offer to stay and I was kind of just ready to come home. To be honest with you, I was going through like, honestly, um, I had a little bit of a broken heart there and I was just, you know, that's getting into another subject, but I was just like at the stage where I was ready to go home. I was still working on the Paralympic school day project. We were editing it and doing last minute touches on it. And so I worked on that project um, from the U S when I got home for, until it was complete. And then I was like, I'm going to get, it's fine. I'm going to get the best job. I've got all this experience now. Like I'm going to get any job that I want. I got, you know, and (laughs) I couldn't find the right job. All my connections were international. And so my twin sister at that time was working in corporate America in a sales position. And she was like, completely unrelated to disability sport, nothing, but she was doing really well and making a bunch of money. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I can do that until I find the right job. So Mm -hmm. I'm really good at two things, disability sports and inclusion and advocacy. And I'm really good at sales. Like my first job ever was waitress in a wheelchair. The first one ever, I used to carry 15 margaritas on my lap. It got me through college. Like (laughs) I've always worked and kind of been with in sales and And so I was like, I know how to sell. I was this. And so she got me into this company and fast forward 20 years of moving up the ladder and working for several different companies. Um, Before I started my own business, I was a vice president of sales at a startup technology company that, um, you know, a woman with a disability and a leadership role, killing sales, winning, 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 you know, like still that drive to like, where can I take my career? Um, and, and then the disability inclusion conversation started in the workplace and it's given me opportunities to start to speak about it. And then I got a TEDx talk and I did that on ableism and inclusion. And it just kind of opened up, um, my path to my business now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wouldn't say disability, my, the disability sports world directly impacted it, but it indirectly because of all of these foundational things that I learned from act, being active and then going after the things that I wanted in Belgium and working for the Paralympics and coming back. And I needed to learn business to be successful in what I'm doing now. And my sales and expertise that I have from my corporate job translates into, I mean, I just booked, I'm booking Victoria's Secret and Etsy and AAA and Hyatt and we're, you know, eHarmony. I just did like huge global companies are hiring me now to come and talk about disability inclusion, diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, um, the value of hiring people with disabilities in the workplace, all that stuff. And because I've had all of these experiences on top of my business experience, I come in and have these conversations that are very based in advocacy, but also um, uh, like personal experiences in the workplace as a person with a disability. So, and then we also just started a nonprofit. We didn't just start it, but my husband and I have a nonprofit called Adaptive Athletics Association that 
um, has, we put on wheelchair tennis tournaments. We were doing it in Southern California and now we're in the process of setting up new programming in Northern California. So if anybody's interested in tennis, um, definitely keep that on your radar as well as it's a, it's a platform and a, like an international resource that like it's building a community for adaptive sports, for people to share what they're doing for organizations to upload um, their information. So kind of there's a, a network connection within the back end of this platform. So if anybody's interested in learning more about that, please reach out to me or um, check out adaptiveathletics.net because um, we're kind of have a side hustle with the nonprofit as well. Absolutely. And I'm sure th- I'm sure there will be because, uh, I mean, and first of all, Wilson Tennis is uh, um, a growing sport and it's getting more and more popular. I was just at an event, an Abilities Expo um, this past weekend, and people were asking where, where and how can I play wheelchair tennis? So I know that oh, people are and interested. We need so many more people um, like involved in the sport, honestly, and kids. And Adaptive Athletics has all sports. It's a network where all organizations are in there. So you can build profiles and like say, I'm interested in basketball and tennis and it'll pull in calendars and do really cool stuff to kind of network, bridge the gap of organizations. Um, My husband's the lead on that. So if anybody is interested, please touch base with us. We would love to um, partner and share and all of that. Well, and I love what you're doing. And so I, the question that I want to, I've always been interested or the conversation I've always been interested in having is where does div, the disability fit in the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations? Because I think at least right now, um, it is not necessarily at the forefront of, of the DEI work and conversations. So I'd love your thoughts and insights on that. Oh, thank you. I love that you asked me that. You're absolutely right. Um, Disability, where does disability fit in the diversity conversation? Everywhere. The problem is, is ableism and and people that don't understand the disabled world don't understand that disability is, is a part of our identity, right? Like, just like I'm a woman or or what our different backgrounds are, our races, um, our sexual orientations, like all that stuff, like disability is part of an identity. And from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint in the workplace, it's the one thing out of that conversation that transcends to every single solitary um, other category. I mean, it can happen to any of us at any time. It's one in four of us, um, you know, temporary, permanent, onset, aging, by the time we're 90, if we're lucky enough to live, 90% of us will be disabled. By the time we're 50, 60% of us. So I think people classify the conversation of diversity into things like race and sex and and the typical um, stories that we're hearing all the time. And disability is just now finally starting to catch on with um, the add-on of Companies need to be focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. There's no way that people with disabilities can be included or find a place of belonging in the workplace or in education or in our society unless we are creating access to get there. And it's not just infrastructure and ramps and elevators, important, but it's technology, a front end for your consumers, 
back in for your employees. It's, you know, there's so many layers of the accessibility conversation and how it impacts and innovates business. And I started doing this work because I was working in corporate America and I was like, not seeing anyone that looked like me, especially in leadership roles. And I was, it was always my job to make everybody else feel better about me being there or going on the team building event or, and things not being accessible. And, and, um, we need voices of change in this to shift the punitive conversation in the workplace of ADA, check off the box, the ramp is there, we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's the bare bone basics. And all of those things are our freedoms, ADA and these laws and all the 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 um, legislation that's in place on the internet to all of it. Like those are our freedoms as humans in this country to continue our lives as we change and grow, as we need access, as we need accessibility. And so when you start to shift that conversation and have it be very translatable for anyone to understand, we start to disable ableism, which is what I call it. Turn off our biases, turn off just a punitive check off the box, turn off um, discrimination and, and turn on believing that any of us can do anything, no matter what shape and size we come in. Waitress in a wheelchair. You know what I mean? Like, how do you get hired as a waitress in a wheelchair? Collaborative work, forward-thinking company. And I have to be willing to try and go for the things that I want, not what society says I can do. And then we normalize this stuff and um, start to shift perspectives. And we're so far behind in the disability advocacy of inclusion that these are uncomfortable conversations. I mean, I have heads of companies, huge, I mean, I won't name it, but it's like, they're whispering in my ear. Can I say disability? It's like, yeah, like we got to move past that. We're not progressing. Um, There's too many people with disabilities unemployed. There's too many people with disabilities not um, gaining the opportunities and there's just, there's a ton of value and we could, I could pitch, I could go on and on and on about that. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to help advocate for the space that disability rightfully deserves in, um, in, in a work environment, we should be able to make the money we want. We should be on boardroom leadership. We should be heads of accessibility. We should be the experts in disability advocacy, um, and we should be valued for those things. So that's the work I'm doing. <laughs> well, and I'd be remiss without, yeah. And I'd be remiss without asking you how, if people are, are interested in connecting with you and, you know, and, and, and engaging you, what, what's your website? How do people reach out? Um, so aliciaanderson.com is definitely my website and all of my social media is on there. My Instagram is handle is Alicia speaking. I'm launching a podcast soon called pushing forward with Alicia that's launching in June. So follow me on Instagram so you could get the updates on that. And then definitely adaptiveathletics.net if you're interested in advancing sports conversations and um, learning a little bit more about that, that would be amazing too.